You're listening to Bulletproof Radio with Dave Asprey. What if there was a way to level up your energy, get rid of stress, and take more control of your body? Welcome to Quantum Upgrade. This is a new technology that taps into quantum energy to help you feel amazing. Quantum Upgrade has a lot of different products that help protect you from EMF and help activate your body's natural healing abilities. You can expect better sleep, more resilience, less stress, and better blood flow. The cool thing about Quantum Upgrade is that the products are backed by a lot of heavy-duty scientific studies, and there's a new measurable upgrade. You can now use Quantum Upgrade to increase your consciousness levels between 1,400 and 2,200 on the Hawkins map of consciousness. If you don't know what that means, do some research because it's impressive, it's fun to learn about, and it's something that I've come to understand. Ready to try Quantum Upgrade? Visit quantumupgrade.io slash Dave for a seven-day free trial. What if there was a way to feel younger for longer? Well, there is. Your body needs something called the NAD plus molecule to help you age well. When you're young, your body makes a lot of NAD plus, and that helps you make energy, it helps you keep your DNA healthy, absorb nutrients well, and it protects your cells from stress. But once you hit about 30, your NAD plus levels start to drop. The good news is that longevity scientists have found some things that can help, like niacin, niacinamide, and niagen. They help your body make more NAD+, even as you age. All three of these are in an amazing formula called Qualia NAD+. Check out Qualia NAD+, risk-free, for up to 100 days at neurohacker.com slash Dave15 to save an extra 15%. That's neurohacker.com slash Dave15, Qualia NAD+. It's what I use. Hey everyone, it's Dave Asprey with Bulletproof Radio. Today's cool fact of the day is, is that I just received a new shipment of, of some certain samples and I can't tell you what they are, but I'm amazed that they made it through because they look kind of suspicious, but it's me testing out the new supplements and whatever's gonna happen. But that's not really that cool of a fact of the day. It's just cool that they arrived five seconds before we started the podcast. Today's cool fact of the day is that Mold will eat almost anything. It'll eat wood, fabrics, plastic, concrete, and there's even mold that will eat metal. And of course, not all those are toxic molds. Some of them are, some of them aren't, but it's kind of annoying if mold eats your bumper, which isn't that likely either. And bread specifically, usually within three days, 72 hours, starts to grow mold. And actually it grows a little bit before that, but you don't really see it. But mold won't eat something like a McDonald's Happy Meal, including that bun. And that's because there's a long laundry list of ingredients, but one of them is a preservative called calcium propionate, which is what keeps it looking super fresh. And there's some other things that don't sound so good, like calcium peroxide. That's actually not that big of a deal. Calcium, we're okay. Peroxide, it's like hydrogen peroxide. Your immune system uses that. It's not going to hurt you in normal amounts. It also has things like azodicarbamide, which probably isn't a great idea for you to be eating on a regular basis or at all if you can avoid it. So that's kind of cool. Mold eats everything, but not Happy Meals. And actually, that might be a good rule for you. Everyone's talking about red light therapy beds, and for good reason. There's a company called ARRC LED that's building an entirely new class of LED devices. ARRC LED beds integrate proprietary scanning technology and frequency protocols to shape the delivery of six different wavelengths in dose-optimized photobiomodulation. Yes, that's a lot of words. What it is, though, is that photobiomodulation improves the underlying energetics of the cells in your body. And those changes can benefit nearly every tissue and organ and system in your body. You change your cells and you change your life. For more information, visit ARRCLED.com. Today's guest is James Baber. James is an unusual kind of guest because he's not uh, a rock star or... (laughs) Uh, a health researcher, but he's a really successful executive who spent about almost 20 years doing technology product management. He's worked for 20 of the Fortune 500 as a consultant, and he's directed almost a quarter billion dollars in software and hardware products. But what makes him interesting, aside from the fact that he's just generally a cool guy, is that he's also a toxic mold exposure survivor. 
he was exposed about three years ago, and he's one of the the people who came onto my new documentary, Moldy, talking about his experience. And the reason that I've invited James on the show today, and the reason that I made the whole documentary, is that there are tons of people like this. And there are tons of people like this to some degree who don't have any idea about it. In fact, it's a problem affecting, I'm guessing, 100 million people genetically in the US, just based on statistics. And we have experts in the movie talking about how 50 to 70% of homes have water damage that can lead to these problems. So this is a hidden source of kryptonite that no one knows about. And our guest today, James, has basically been knocked over by this kryptonite, but he picked himself back up kind of the same way I did. And it's really cool to hear the story. So James, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Um, it's good to chat again since we first were filming a few months ago for Moldy. It's uh, it, it's come a long way. I can't wait to give you like one of the very first cuts without all the the final edits and all in just to let you see how you look because uh, it's not easy for someone who's a successful business executive type to stand up and be like like this kind of strange thing happened to me. What what was your experience with mold and you know why are you comfortable telling people about it? it it's almost like you know you, we don't if you have herpes you don't talk about it but like if your house has mold do you talk about that so so you're out of the closet man so tell me your story i am indeed out of the mold closet that's a good thing um uh, so my story goes uh i uh spent a long career doing consulting doing a lot of product uh, management and so forth um there's uh probably not a person in the united states who hasn't worked on a on a product that I have built or built the software for or sourced or something like that. Um, if you've ever been to an Ikea or a, a CVS to get a prescription and so forth, it's, it's a product that I actually developed. Um, so in the last four years, five years, something like that, um, a couple things happened to me. Uh, one was I had elected uh, to do a shoulder surgery. I broke my collarbone in 2000, snowboarding. And I thought, you know what, I'm still pretty young. I've got a little bit of money saved aside. I'm just going to have my collarbone repaired. Um, famous, famous last words. Five <laughs> surgeries later, an E. coli infection from the hospital uh, and a number of other things. And uh, I wound up with just a, a number of um, symptoms that I couldn't quite put my finger on uh, to the point where uh, I was living out uh, what I thought was my life's dream. I finally got an apartment on Fifth Avenue, Central Park Views, uh, very expensive, very nice, everything that I wanted, brand new place. Uh, and about three months after living there, I had or was diagnosed with chronic fatigue. Um, I could not get out of bed um, for more than, it was It was about two hours a day was about all I could do. Uh, and as you can imagine, I had just struck out on my own. I was growing my own consulting practice, um, and I was kind of hiding behind the fact that I actually I, I wasn't awake most of the business day. I wasn't awake most of the time. Um, rewind a little bit to that uh, surgery. One of the five surgeries that I had is a continued attempt to fix an initial mistake. Um, I had two situations occur at the same time, just to, to confound everything. I had the shoulder surgery done. Uh, I got the E. coli infection in the third surgery. About about seven days prior to that surgery, uh, I was living in a place. I had a temporary place in Philadelphia. Um, the roof, well, it was an extreme rainstorm. The roof flooded. It was one of those flat roofs that retain uh, water at the top. Uh, it poured into my bathroom, and within... About three days, there was so much mold that the paint was peeling off the walls, and you could see strips of, of just green mold everywhere. So I called the landlord. I said, this is obviously a problem. It smelled significantly of mold. Uh, and he didn't do anything, didn't do anything, didn't do anything. And then I had to go into surgery. So at that point, oh. I said, you know what? Hold off. I... I've got to go to surgery, so I don't want you in here sanding and cleaning and painting and, and all the good stuff. So I had the surgery. I came back. There is a... Uh, it's unsure as to whether I actually had E. coli. You know how statistics go in the testing samples. They think maybe... I had all these crazy symptoms. There was some evidence that maybe I had E. coli. 
But nobody took into account, nobody that I went and talked to, any doc, any doctor, would believe anything about the mold that was growing in my bathroom. So I stayed in that place for another, they, they cleaned it up, uh, I, I recovered very, very slowly, um, and then my health just went completely downhill from there. I would have bouts back and forth where I felt okay. I moved uh, back to New York, and it was in an apartment, a brand new LEED gold certified apartment that I just Ex- wound explain, up. What's that? Explain LEED. For people who don't know what LEED is, who are listening in their cars, just uh, tell them what that is, because that's kind of an amazing standard. So. LEED is an amazing standard, so it's, uh, I don't know all the details, I used to know more about it, but one of the main things is they have to flush out a certain volume of cubic feet per air per second into the building to push out things like bioaerosols, chemicals, and things like that. I'm sure there's a number of other uh, more green uh, parts to it, if you have anything to add. Uh, basically, it's the highest standard for making a building that's environmentally correct, where it's a healthy building for people inside. So it's targeted to make people live there feel good, and it's targeted to save power and energy and not waste anything and to use non-toxic paint. So it's basically, pardon me for just saying this, but it, it's like a hippie building, right? <laughs> but but not made out of thatch huts and like recycled stuff, but like, you know, a, a, a rich hippie building. Did I say that? <laughs> Sorry, David Gottfried, you were on the show talking about this. He's the father of lead, basically. Uh, anyway, <laughs> but it, it's, a, it's a remarkable standard for that says high quality building. That, right. That's basically what I'm trying to say. So the... The problem with this particular building is that in the way they built the HVAC system, the they would draw external air, which is absolutely appropriate. They would force volumes of that air into the building at a specific time. However, I'm not sure if this building didn't follow the code properly or the construction wasn't done well, but they did not condition the air before putting it into the building. So if it's a hot New York summer and it's 95 degrees outside and it's 90% humidity, 95 degrees inside the hallways with 90% humidity to the point where I could drag my hand along the wall and I would have water on my fingers from the paint inside the hallway. This building was at this time three months old. So I'm skipping ahead a little bit, but needless to say, after starting to get this massive fatigue, pain, headaches, you name it, about, you know, 150 symptoms, uh, I started looking for a doctor to see what exactly was going on. And you can imagine this, I'm sure, out of every doctor that I talked to, pretty much everyone said that I was absolutely insane, you're wrong, mold doesn't do anything, it's absolutely something else. Um, how, how many of them tried to give you Prozac or another antidepressant? It's a real question. Three. Yeah, <laughs> I only had two. Uh, only, <laughs> so I went to 10 doctors. The 11th actually said, he said straight up, he said, first of all, James, you have no respiratory symptoms. I mean, I, I looked perfectly fine. I looked like a marathon yeah. runner, right? Uh, so he said, you look perfectly fine. Let's let's sit down for a second. I, I just need to tell you something. Um, that's when he said, basically, you know, this is completely in your head. Um, <laughs> I really think that, that you should accept this psych evaluation from me. So that's that's where I stood after 10 doctors. Um, it wasn't shortly after that that I finally discovered Dr. Shoemaker. I actually read a little bit of, uh, of what you had put together. I, at that point, didn't know that it was mold. I knew that there was something very wrong with my building. Um, but uh, it was shortly thereafter that I started to realize this might be mold. I had an ERMI test. Uh, if you know Ermi, I do. Do you want me to explain it or do you want to explain it? Go ahead. Uh, so, and, and by the way, if, if this stuff is like fascinating to you, like, Oh, look, there's kryptonite. I don't know about uh, check out bulletproofexec.com slash moldy. Uh, uh, that's just the sign up list. So I'll email you as soon as the movie's ready. But we talk about Ermi. We interview some of the experts who helped put it together. Environmental relative mold index. And this is what I had done, you know, in, in the kitchen that made me sick most recently where I had a leaking dishwasher for two years. And in my case, we found 88 times more, uh, that time it was penicillium, I believe, or aspergillus, I have to look at my notes, um, in, in the indoor air than you find outdoors. And if you're finding more mold or worse, more toxic mold like I did indoors versus outdoors, then you cannot say, oh, it's just because you live in, you know, there's moldy leaves outside. It's because there's a different species and there's tons of it in the air you breathe in your house. And when you find that, 
that's actual data. And it's hard to argue that, oh, there's nothing going on there because you can show that. So that's ERMI. Right. So the test that I had done wasn't the typical, uh, you know, simple, cheap mold test from a generic source. This is defined by the EPA. It is extremely objective data. It's done by PCR. So they do DNA analysis. They can tell you exactly what mold species it is. So I'm a pretty data objective guy. Uh, I felt like this would be a pretty good test. So I had the test done. My ERMI score was a 13. Um, and I think that means something like, only 10 or 8% of other homes in the United States have more bad mold than mine. So brand new building, Fifth Avenue, Central Park, uh, and I'm living in, in three months in a brand new building. It is moldier than 92, three something percent of homes in America, that of, of the bad mold types. So after, after learning that, uh, I was actually able to get in touch with Dr. Shoemaker. As you know, he's retired, doing research now. So I had to find a doctor who's willing to actually um, uh, to, to prescribe or to write a requisition for the blood labs that he specifically looks at. Just uh, a, a quick side note for people listening. We have a podcast, um, one of the episodes, I don't have the number memorized, with Dr. Shoemaker. Um, who was one of the keynote speakers at the Bulletproof Conference earlier this year. So he's, he's a physician who's the author of Surviving Mold. If this is interesting, you might want to read that book. It's got all sorts of science. Here's the problem. You have any autoimmune condition? Well, you might want to look at what environmental exposure to mold does for every kind of autoimmunity. In fact, you have a problem with only some kinds of wheat and not others. Like when you go to Europe, you can eat. Well, that also can be a mold sensitivity. It's different molds, different countries. It's remarkable how much this is a part of our life and it's invisible. So we ignore it or even worse, like the doctors we had both dealt with. You just think that it's because you're crazy. It's not like there's things in the environment that we can control, that we can measure that affect our ability to think long before they make us as sick as James or I got. Uh, so anyway, I started off on a tangent there, James, but that's who Dr. Shoemaker is. He's the pioneer in this field, and uh, his work is, is groundbreaking for a lot of conditions like Lyme and mold, and people who don't know they have some neurotoxins just floating around in their house. So, uh, so that took over about nine months of trying to determine what I had. I actually, again, just... Being a guy who works in data and technology, I took a, an approach um, to look at exactly what my symptoms were. This is before I discovered Dr. Shoemaker. This is before I knew anything about mold. Um, about three months into all of what was going on, uh, I cleared out everything in the living room in the apartment, and I started printing out... Um, it's basically a differential diagnosis, right? So you're proving what you might have by proving what you definitely don't have. So I started stapling on the wall things that showed what a blood lab produced or showed that I did not have. Um, I was stapling on the wall things that uh, my tests and symptoms and so forth showed that I might have. So I was, I was working on basically a differential diagnosis, putting on what I knew and what I didn't know and what was right and what was wrong about the different blood labs that I had, had, um, had done to date. And at the very end of it, I still have the piece of paper printed out. At the very end of doing, you know, my own version of a differential diagnosis, I had a sheet of paper that said something like uh, pulmonary aspergillosis. And I just looked at that piece of paper and I, I, I felt like an idiot. I'm like, there's no way this is anything to do with mold because I specifically moved into a lead building. I specifically moved into a brand new building. So this is not accurate. I put that, I think I actually ripped it up, um, put that aside. And I said, you know, that's, that's BS that I was not a believer in mold as a problem either. Um, and so it actually took a long time for me to come around and recognize that this actually is legitimately something that is a problem. And there's absolute objective evidence showing that it is an issue with, with people. Uh, one of the physicians uh, that I interviewed for the movie, uh, Dr. Scott McMahon, uh, I asked him, so how many physicians are actively treating uh, mold toxin symptoms in the U.S. today? And he, he looked at me for a second and he said, all of them, they just don't know it. And it's that big of an issue where you hit an extreme 
But if the levels were lower and you just had half your capacity and you're like, I'm tired, I'm sick a lot, I've gained 30 pounds, but like I'm not quite disabled, you could do that for 20 years. Right. Right. I mean, at a certain point, are you grateful that you you stuck with it, even though you got really sick, but it gave you the incentive to dig through and figure out like this was something that was limiting you in ways you probably didn't understand? Absolutely. I mean, I, I consider myself extremely lucky. Um, I'm lucky in the fact that I had the financial means to go through the umpteen thousand dollars worth of tests and things that insurance wouldn't cover and so forth to actually uncover this. Um, but absolutely. And I, you know, I hope to some degree that I can be an advocate for showing that people who say there's environmental problems or walk into a room and, and kind of, you know, feel like they've been knocked over, they're not crazy. Um, I don't think I'm, you know, crazy. I, I don't have, uh, not to be stereotypical, but I'm not the guy who has dreadlocks and dirty clothes and leaning over on the side of the street, uh, complaining about, you know, something's bothering me. I mean, I've taken, a, again, a very objective, uh, stance at this and I firmly believe in it. And I believe it's the only reason that I'm, you know, standing up and still working today is that I believed in it and worked at trying to make it better. You're not just standing up and working. If memory serves, you also recently ran like a half marathon, right? Um, maybe four. <laughs> nice. Yeah. And you know what? So, I, th I think the interesting thing about that is I had not exercised for four, had not exercised for four years because I felt so bad. And one day I woke up and ran 13.1 miles. So that begs the question, you know, do people, are people having a problem with the amount of training they're doing or something like that? Or are they just living in an unhealthy environment? It's always both, right? The, the whole model, one from the Bulletproof Diet and just all of my learning about biohacking is that the things that take away performance matter enormously and they're usually hard to see. And the things that add performance matter enormously. But if you just took away all the stuff that's holding you back, you'd perform amazingly well, even right. if you didn't right. like eat the perfect fuel and, you know, snort powdered grass fed liver or whatever the latest trend is. Right. Like like they both help. But to focus only on the good stuff and ignore the bad stuff, um, it hasn't worked for me. And, you know, there's the the old coal miners with a canary. Genetically, about one in three of us are canaries for specific types of neurotoxins that are made by Mother Nature. And they're made by Mother Nature because we pissed her off. <laughs> um, we, we influenced the toxicity of these species of relatively harmless soil fungi that became much more harmful as we use more aggressive farming techniques and certain chemicals and all. And now they're basically coming back to bite us. Now, one of the other reasons that I think this is uh, worthy of everyone's consideration is in that building where you were, I'm guessing there were a few other people who were um, who were probably not feeling so good. Um, right. Uh, absolutely. Yes. So some of them probably had chronic fatigue or Lyme disease or one of the other many things that are, are all commonly clustered around mold. But were there other people there who just like, oh, I'm having bad allergies this year or I'm just a little more tired? Like, did you notice a, a, a clustering of things that weren't as severe as yours around there? I did. And that, that was um, at least at the time that was confusing to me. Uh, I, Everybody, I'm, sh I'm sure you've experienced this as well, but everybody has a self-defense mechanism about things they don't understand. And so, uh, you know, it's the New York uh, allergy season or it's, uh, you know, it didn't matter if it was cold or hot. There's, everybody has a reason for the problems that they're experiencing. So I would talk to other people in the building at the gym or something like that, just around, just anywhere around the building. A lot of people complaining about various things, coughing and so forth. Um, but everybody had a reason for why they had a specific problem. But if you look at it, and this is what I do a lot in, in the work that I do, looking at big data and using statistics. <laughs> if someone looked at that as a whole, they would say, it's, it's statistically significant that you have a problem, you and 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 everybody in the next building over having a great summer. So there's got to be something there. Absolutely. Uh, this is one of the reasons, incidentally, that I'm such a fan of the quantified self movement and this whole wave of sensors, because uh, if we had heart rate variability during sleep for everyone in your building, which could happen if mattresses were so enabled, right. mine is, 
we would actually see that all of you had stress events during sleep. And it would be such an obvious, like bright burning ember on any sort of data visualization software that we could say, we don't know what it is. It could be that like the wrong color moonbeam is shining on this building. We don't know, but we know that there is an unnatural clustering of stress. So let's find out what it is. And that's, that's where science comes from. And it, it seems like what's happened with so many of the people that I interviewed for the movie and just people who've approached me because I'm pretty open about the fact that, you know, I, one of the reasons, not the only reason, but one of the reasons that I gained the weight I gained was that I grew up in a basement with toxic mold in it. And I didn't know it at the time. No one did. But when I look back at my genetics and I look back at the clustering of symptoms, like there's only one thing that it points to. Right. Um, what are some of the other symptoms, though, that, that you had that that were you said 150 symptoms, but name the top 10 most obvious things that that you found were tied to these neurotoxins and the inflammation that mold causes? Sure. So that's a great question. It is a very long list and I, it varies by whatever time of day it is or what. what well, and, and in by, reality, by it just species. depends on where I am. Yeah, what it depends on the species of the mold in your environment. Right? Yeah, exactly. So. Um, a, a side note, uh, I was always known uh, on our trips, I have a, a group of buddies, every year we attempt to do something, we go skiing or we go hiking. I was always known as the guy who wherever we went, I would have just the most random uh, medical problems. So and it, it became a joke. So every year it's like, oh, I wonder what James is going to get this time. And the reality was especially going to ski lodges where you take snowy boots into carpeted areas. I know you need carpets for your ski boots so you don't fall. Absolutely terrible. And uh, condos up in the mountains, for as good as the air is up there and as good as I feel when I'm not in those buildings, those have been ski lodges and ski condos have been some of the absolute worst places I've ever been. And that's why I know looking back, I wasn't just inventing this. Mold isn't something new in my life. I've obviously been encountering it for a long time. It's, it, it's remarkable that you, you mentioned that. Uh, my parents uh, had this dream when, when they retired, they were going to go up to Alaska and live there for a couple of years. I have no idea why that was their dream. Like it's cold in Alaska, <laughs> by the way, Alaska's awesome. But they, they went up there and they rented this house and they both started falling over a lot, uh, like way more vertical, like dozens of times. And my parents don't generally fall over that often. And then my mother was getting all these nosebleeds. Classic sign. If you start getting nosebleeds, you don't always have nosebleeds. You are in a moldy environment. Yes. Like it is so obvious uh, I grew up 10 times a day, every day. It was just part of my life because I slept be- with right next to paneling that had mold behind it. So I was just the kid who got nosebleeds and was fat. Oops. But oh, and had asthma and all these other things that are related. Right. But in my parents' house or the rental they had, what had happened was the, the owners of the place who built it 20 years earlier, it's dry in Alaska when you, you burn a fire. So what do you do to make it better? You put a kettle on top. And you make steam so the air is moist. The walls are cold. The air is moist. Condensation inside the walls. I went up to visit them, and it took me two months to feel like myself again. I was I, – I, literally, it's like this giant wet blanket of anger comes over your head, and it's your brain swelling up and leaking fluid. Now, you would probably be the same there. My parents were clearly addled, and you know when they moved out, they eventually got better. But my dad actually had a heart attack after that. And, yeah, I could point to the studies that look at increases in calcification – that happened with response to environmental exposure to toxic mold. So is there a correlation there? I believe there is. Is there a causation? Probably. And we've got some studies that support the idea, but it's not absolutely proven. Uh, so uh, same thing. Skiing? I don't want to go skiing because there's always like condensation stuff and there's always wet stuff in those condos. So I'm, I, I basically stay at a nice hotel if I go there where the problem doesn't exist, right. even though it's more expensive. And it does that mean that we're wackos? No, it means that we know something. And it also means that if you go skiing and you beat yourself up on the slopes all day, having a great time, and then without being as sensitive as we are, you sleep in a moldy environment, and then you come back to work and you feel kind of hungover. Oh, I'm just tired. Just not doing as well. I got a cold. You know, <clears throat> okay, you're fine a week later. Well, you just cause cumulative DNA damage and you increase your risk of talk of, uh, of cancer and probably your risk of some other chronic diseases. And you may have triggered some autoimmunity that won't hit you for 10 years. We call that lupus. All of these are correlated. And so, like, it's so cool that you mentioned the ski thing because I've never actually talked about that before. And I've noticed the same correlation. So it, it's it's awesome to know it. And what this means is that when you go somewhere, 
pay attention. You walk in, if it smells like a sock, it, don't just open the window, go back and say, can I have a different room? And it's little things like that that could keep you from getting a cold or cancer. Right. So for my, for, for my symptom list, I would say number one, brain fog. I mean, that's, that's easy. It's, it goes brain fog, lack of clarity, uh, loss of, you know, recalling specific words, proper names for me. Uh, that's the first to go. Absolutely. Um, and then that goes, if I continue to stay in the environment, it goes into chronic fatigue at some point where I actually just can't get out of bed. Um, the second one is visual distortions. Primarily for me, it looks like someone dropped, um, like milk into my eyes. I get this kind of just slight cloud. Um, the third definitely is numbness in my toes and my fingers. Um, that's when I know, I mean, that, that's the easiest one to say there's restricted blood flow going on here. Something vascular is, is there's an issue. Um, for me, that is absolutely correlated with, um, with uh, encountering mold. Um, but I mean, from a, a symptom list, the roster just goes on so long. Uh, you know, I, I can't even think of everything right now, but weird pains, joints, uh, muscle pain, aching, uh, tight cramps. Um, I now have arthritis. Uh, imagine that, by the way, uh, an autoimmune disorder in, uh, in one of my toes. And that's another, like it's a bellwether when that starts throbbing, I just have to absolutely get out of the area. Um, especially since as I feel that, uh, I'm starting to feel it in other toes when I'm in other areas. And I guarantee you that's just, uh, although we don't know exactly how it works, but that's some sort of a progression, um, of that, uh, arthritis in, in my toes. Um, so, any collection of symptoms, even just walking into an area, I, I'll just, I'll have a mood change, um, which a lot of people, that's when people start saying, oh, that's a little crazy, but I can just notice my mood change as I walk into a room, which I absolutely firmly believe, um, you know, is associated to these uh, various biotoxins. There is absolutely such a thing as mold rage. Have you experienced it? You know what I'm talking about? Uh, maybe, maybe. <laughs> okay. I'll walk through it. And I, I asked a bunch of people who'd been exposed to mold, including physicians and college professors and successful entrepreneurs like you, like, like people who are leading successful lives and suddenly are like, I walked into a wall of kryptonite and I either have extricated myself or I am doing it, but I really would like other people to know about this because it's so common yet so hard to see. Um, mold rage is something that happens. You, in fact, I'll, I'll tell, uh, <laughs> I'll tell my most recent one. This is very rare. I used to walk around, you know, I, I would have, uh, um, like, like road rage pretty much quite often. This is many years ago and I've done my meditation and all that. I, I don't have even that visceral response. I don't have to suppress it. It's gone. Like I've, I've hacked that. But about five months ago, I was in San Diego. I was giving a talk at this conference for entrepreneurs about human performance and they put me up in this nice hotel. It was overlooking the beach. And I went in. The room didn't smell bad at all. It was a nice hotel. I didn't worry about it. And I was there for five minutes. And I, I went out and I got on the phone with the general contractor I'm working with uh, on building the biohacking facility here. And the guy goes, you know, we're having a problem with these doors and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, but like we already made a deal. We signed a contract like the guy's doing the doors for this much money and he wants to charge us twice as much or he's just going to like give us no doors like like this is absolutely uncool. Okay, it was uncool and it wasn't a good situation. But my response was F this guy. As a matter of fact, I don't care about this anymore. Just throw a match on the whole thing. Burn it down. I don't want to pay any more attention to this. I just can't handle this. Okay. I don't talk like that. I don't act like that. I don't think like that. I don't feel like that. Like that is not me. And right after that happened, I was like, pretty sure I got something going on here that's addled my system because this isn't normal behavior. And I went into the room and I stood on a, I should post the photo. I still have it. I stood on a chair and I looked at the, the register for the air conditioner coming into the room. It has this, this square bracket around it covered in black fluffy mold. Okay. That was mold rage. Like I was a dick <laughs> without my permission or consent to be a dick because a psychoactive chemical in the environment affected my brain, my neurotransmitters, something else. Um, and this is something you'll hear quite often. Nightmares. Did you ever have like weird dreams in these buildings? Uh, I either couldn't sleep at all or I had absolutely weird, terrifying uh, dreams. Absolutely. Yes. 
Yeah. So if you go somewhere new and you have weird, terrifying dreams and you didn't have something horrible happen to you that day, ask yourself a question. What did it smell like? And like, this just sounds too weird, except we don't really know each other that well. And we've talked for the, the documentary, but uh, the symptoms are here. And there's one in three people have the genes that make them basically permanently affected after this exposure. It's 100 million people in the U.S., and the rest of us just have these other things. So that's that's why I think it's actually kind of courageous that you're willing to come out and say, like, I'm a successful guy. This happened, uh, even though I had crazy pants symptoms, but I'm not crazy. Um, did you go back to any of the doctors who said it was in your head? And did you say, here's my results. Here's what fixed me. I haven't. No, I've thought about it many, many a time. Uh, there's one doctor who, in my opinion, should not be practicing medicine. Um, and uh, that just unfortunately happens to be the way that our medical system is right now. You get your degree 40 years ago and anything that you say is absolute truth, although it's a little strange that medicine can give me 11 different diagnoses for the same thing. I don't call that exactly objective, but, but absolutely, I mean, I, I hope at some point or, you know, I'll, how about I just mail these, this tape to these guys? Um, because uh, th there is something more to the diagnostic protocol than they're going through, and there are certainly people who, like a lot of successful people, even in medicine, have a big ego and believe that the body of knowledge that they have and their opinions are absolutely the truth and at least in my case nothing that anybody else prescribed or suggested ever showed any problem whatsoever so that is just uh, um, you know it's a conditioning mechanism right I think James is crazy I gave him 10 blood labs his 10 blood labs came back perfect I'm right he's wrong he's crazy and he's perfectly fine um, so hopefully you know with the documentary absolutely uh, more more people and more doctors will recognize this as uh, something legitimate it's it's kind of interesting because thousands of doctors listen to bulletproof radio I, I get emails from them uh, about this or, or they're using the bulletproof diet and uh, I know they don't believe everything I say, <laughs> and that's good. <laughs> but what's cool is I, I'm asking them to think about these things and to look at the research. So if you're listening and you're a physician uh, or a care provider, if someone who's generally has a pretty good track record of success comes in and they're acting wacky and they have 25 symptoms, before you call them hypochondriac, even though somehow they magically have been able to become an amazing painter, an amazing artist, an amazing mom, and an entrepreneur, a sports professional, whatever they do, if they're good at that and and they're they're showing like a like a, a healthy functioning person who now has all these crazy symptoms, you owe it to your patients to just take a look at this and ask them a few questions about it, or maybe even run some labs. Um, I think this is going to change medicine because. Even at the the most extreme edge of of say like Olympic athlete performance, take Olympic athletes, put them in a moldy ski lodge, and watch the changes in what's called uh, uh, visual contrast sensitivity. Mm -hmm. This is actually something that Shoemaker uses to test whether you've been exposed. And what happens is your eyes can't see subtle changes in gray. Now imagine you're doing 60 miles an hour on skis down a ski slope, and you can't see that subtle change of gray on the mogul in front of you. But that's the difference between a gold medal and no medal. So these neurotoxins aren't just hitting people who have this chronic inflammatory response after exposure. They're hitting all of us. Some of us are better at filtering than others, but there isn't like a, a hormetic or a healthy dose that makes you stronger. They damage your tissues and you have to undo the damage if you can. And some of the DNA damage, we don't know how to undo that yet. So it's, um, it, it's cool. So if you're listening to this and you're a doctor, like, no, this is real stuff. I have something to add on that. So this goes into the everybody thinks I'm crazy, and I'll, I'll be completely honest. Um, I don't tell most people unless I think unless I can see obvious signs that maybe they're having an issue as well. Um, I tell my family and friends. I would say you know a, a moderate percentage of my family maybe believes me. Uh, a high percentage of my friends don't believe me whatsoever, uh, including one friend who's had. I wouldn't say that he doesn't believe me. He's actually gone through and done a number of the blood labs and work and proven that he has it. 
Um, but in his in his view, it's you know mold is everywhere, and gosh, it's just too hard to deal with. So uh, you know, meanwhile, everyone in his father's in his family on his father's side has died of some inflammation related d- disease, which just terrifies me. Um, but when I when I ask myself why is that, and I ask other doctors why do you think that mold is not a problem? What I what I've been told back um, is there was a mold scare I think in the early 90s or something like that and a lot of companies made a lot of money off of that scare by remediating homes, really not doing too much and I think the scientific community at that point said we need a we need to push this down because this is getting out of hand. This is no longer scientific. And I think it just became a little bit taboo to even mention the fact that mold can be a problem up to the point where um, you may have read this. I think it's an excellent article uh, by a guy. I think it's David Armstrong in the Wall Street Journal a few years ago. He did uh, investigative journalism looking at um, these uh, mold litigation cases, and he discovered a very important point. Uh, it really is a smoking gun. That is, there's a number, there are two primary physicians' organizations. So many physicians belong to a organization that helps prop them up or helps certify them uh, in terms of various things that they do. Uh, so they're, they're important um, uh, organizations. They're also, some of them are social. Um, but a lot of them, just like politics, will publish views on various things. And there are two very key uh, organizations. One of them is uh, kind of well-known. One of them is extremely well-known. And they both put out position papers showing or stating that mold is not a problem. Mold cannot cause chronic inflammation or chronic disorders. <laughs> come, come to find out, the the... The writers of those papers were not actually physicians themselves. They were, or maybe they were, I, I forget the exact details, but the, the, the writers actually were, um, people who had for a long time, uh, been on the defense of mold cases. So they were expert witnesses who made millions of dollars on mold litigation. They themselves also wrote the papers for these organizations that these organizations then published. So when you go talk to a doctor, a doctor might say, look, you know, I belong to this very reputable organization. They've made a statement. Here's the evidence they present. Meanwhile, they don't look at all the objective evidence, a lot of which Dr. Shoemaker has, has presented in scientific studies as well. Um, but they, they present this front like, it's not something true. Meanwhile, the same guys took those papers that they wrote and then started using them in new mold cases that they won as a result. So, you know, in, in law and other, other things like scientific papers and so forth, you are required to state conflicts of interests. And that's the key legal point here. These guys did not state that there was a conflict of interest. So here you have an entire body of medical knowledge and doctors across the United States who say, you know what, I read a paper. Mold isn't a thing because these papers said so. And, you know, I think it's people like, like you who have to tell the rest of the world, no, that was wrong. There really is legitimately a problem. One of the favorite interviews in, in Moldy was with a physician. It was one of my favorites because she was married to a physician and she got really sick in a moldy house and he didn't. And they spent two years using every Western, it's like biopsying every organ in her body, which is horribly painful. No answer. And at the end of two years of, of hell, basically, um, instead of saying she was crazy because she had a temperature from the mold, they believe she wasn't crazy. So there was an objective symptom that we could all measure instead of just I'm tired all the time, which you can't measure. Then she figured it out what it was, and now she treats patients with that. But the idea that the two well-trained medical professionals could miss this for two years—that ought to help the rest of medicine. Like, wait, there's something missing here, and not everything is caused by toxic mold. But autoimmunity is caused by toxic mold. Is it only caused by toxic mold? No, it's not. Cancer is caused by toxic mold, and all doctors know that because aflatoxin is a mold toxin, and it's the most cancer-causing substance we know of. <laughs> so, like, it, it, we go down this this path of 
being very binary. Like it either is or it isn't. And it's always this or it's never that. And in medicine and in law and in everything else, it's almost never that binary, only in computer science. And even then it's getting less binary with quantum. So what happens is, well, sometimes it's an issue. It might not even be the only issue, right? But it matters. And if you do that sort of, sort of, well, the general consensus is that it can have no effect, then you've removed it from the universe of possibilities and you're, you're a worse diagnostician. The scientific thinking for that is a panel of experts who may or may not be independent, as all panels of experts are today. There are issues with uh, corporate sponsorship of things, but that, that is their opinion. And it is a learned opinion and it's worth the statistical weighting, but it isn't perfect. And if you then say, okay, there's this other body of knowledge, but I'm going to ignore the knowledge using the logic. This is the same logic that says that you can't eat butter because it's bad for you. It can't be, therefore it's not. That is not scientific. And if you look at a patient and you say, this guy has 25 symptoms and he says he thinks it's mold, it, it's not mold because it can't be versus, well, even, even if it is, you've basically done that, that weird that weird loop versus saying, all right, I'm going to do the science and I'm going to say, is it possible that it is? And I'm, I'm going to rule that out. So I'm, I'm, I got off the soapbox here, but uh, you and I and hundreds of thousands of other people have gone through multiple doctor's appointments without getting any results with a ton of frustration and just a, a ton of suffering, for lack of a better word, word because of papers like those two, which have educated well-meaning doctors to say that they should call you crazy instead of run a lab test to see if you have a certain toxin in your blood. Any lab tests that stood out for you, like something you should talk about. I know you're not a doctor, but you're a guy who hacked himself to get around a, a substantial problem. use data to do it. And that's what makes all this interesting. What were like the most important tests to be aware of? Uh, I'll, I'll answer that in two ways. I can tell you that the majority of tests that doctors order, including for me, uh, HSCRP, CRP, um, Perfect. I mean, I mean, I look like a rock star. Uh, <laughs> and, and in that regard, um, you get a lot of this confirmation bias. You get this, well, I've done, I've done a smattering of tests, James, and you, you know, you look perfectly fine. Well, my CBC is fine, and my, um, comprehensive metabolic, uh, panel is perfectly fine, and my cholesterol is fine. Um, but when you start looking at inflammation markers, which this is another issue that I have, the medical community might not know about, but the PhD research medical community, medical community does know about and has known about for a long time. The biomarkers that come up for me, um, off the bat, something called TGF beta one, transforming growth factor beta one, um, C4A, another inflammation marker. Both of those, by all means, when I'm doing very poorly, are off the charts high. Um, VIP, vasoactive intestinal polypeptide, uh, was so low for me that they could not record it in my blood, um, which VIP does a number of things, one of which is part of that vascularity, uh, like the constriction of blood, blood vessels, capillary hypoperfusion, I think it is. Yes. Um, can be helped by VIP and something called VEGF, uh, vascular endothelial growth factor, if I remember. Um, those have a tendency to, uh, if you're not doing well in those uh, biomarkers, um, that's when the blood flow stops. That's when the brain fog comes in. That's when uh, you can measure it. 40% of the blood volume to your brain goes away. You're operating at, I mean, you're operating at 60% or less of the, of the capacity that you can. Um, other are MSH, uh, melanocyte simulating hormone. Um, and then, um, something called EPO, which you might know from, uh, Lance Armstrong. Uh, that is also just absolutely significantly low for me. Um, so those are generally what I go into tests, um, generally on a, maybe every three months basis, um, as well as I had an MRI done with something called NeuroQuant, which is starting to be used for uh, diagnosing early-stage Alzheimer's. What you can do with that, or what Dr. Shoemaker and some other researchers found, is that these mold toxins and the impact of mold um, 
basically, I'm going to describe it completely inaccurate, but that's right. I'm not a medical guy. Uh, get, do something like what, what they call leaky gut. It's like leaky brain. It, it increases the permeability of the brain whereby additional toxins can get into it. So I, I have, admit this to everyone, I have significant left caudate atrophy. And when you go to Wikipedia and you look up what happens if you have uh, left caudate atrophy, you'll find a, a description of James Baber, by, by all means. Um, on the other hand, I have uh, swelling in other components of the brain, the forebrain parenchyma as an example. Um, on a standard deviation, I'm like three standard or four standard deviations out of an enlarged um, uh, prefrontal cortex and other various components of the, of the forebrain. Um, so as you go through the protocol that I'm working on and you ensure that you're healthy and you've got a good environment and you're eating very well and you're following you know, all these things that you speak of, uh, I can objectively show a renewal of those blood labs that are completely off the charts and you can actually see a normalization of the brain structures. Um, and I, you know, I take this information into doctors and they're like, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, okay, <laughs> I, I think you have tuberculosis. <laughs> it, it's really funny how putting a name on it, it is, is so important because that's how we drive our diagnosis. But it, it, it's such a strong thing. And, and you know, the correlations there, one of the things that, that I've noticed over the really probably dozen years since I figured out what was really going on with me uh, and, and what had triggered some of these things and then how to undo those things was it, it helped me understand things like the relationship between VIP and things like leptin and then things like insulin and how one of the reasons that I was really obese was because of inflammation. But then when I go to people who clearly can walk into the buildings that for me, I'm like, this place is moldy. I can tell you for sure. And if I don't get out of here in the next breath, I'm probably going to feel crappy for a couple hours. Um, and OK, maybe I'm just crazy, except, well, other people who have been exposed to mold know it's the same place. So we we get out of there. But the guy who goes in there, he also has symptoms. They aren't the same as mine. They aren't as severe as mine. But when he uses protocols that help his body clear the neurotoxins more quickly, his performance goes up. And I've tested that even for like coffee in, in the book. Like, okay, this is moldy coffee. This is not moldy coffee. People who aren't mold sensitive magically perform better without the toxins. So I view the world as basically like there's a smearing of toxins. Some of them are mold, some of them are man-made, some of them are other chemicals, and those things slow you down. And there's a smearing of good stuff, and that stuff speeds you up. But for everyone out there, when you clean up the air in your house, when you make sure you have proper drainage around your house, like your quality of life goes up. Your number of sick days goes down. Whether or not you're going to have VEGF and, and your prefrontal cortex having no metabolic activity like mine for a while. Um, all that was on a spec scan from, from Daniel Amen, not on the NeuroQuant. But these these types of things are are just great measuring sticks because all of the great biohacking sources of information like professional extreme sports, military, <laughs> hospital operating rooms, astronauts, all of those are extremes of environments for even like free diving. What are what happens at the edges and what happened to you is at the edge of what happens to someone who's really exposed to mold. Uh, but the rest of us are still able to learn from that and then steer our environment to make it better. Um, the other thing that I don't know if you know much about this, but do you have any familiarity with mold in schools? I'm definitely aware of it. Yes. Uh, anything you can say uh, sort of to share with people who are listening in their cars now or should uh, is that just not an area where you've paid much attention to it? I, I have not personally. I can't say that I personally experienced the problem with it. I just have read a lot in the literature about um, issues where. Uh, children say they're, or children's parents recognize that they're having a problem. They call it autism. They call it this. They call it ADD. Um, they do an ERMI test. They find that it's absolutely off the charts. They take the child out. The child goes through a, a healthy protocol. Then, because, because at least at the time, they didn't know the objective labs, they had to put the child back in the school for four days and then show that the, it just wrecked, wrecked their bodies, which if you ask me that 
that mechanism, this is for many law cases, lawsuits. Um, that's that's called uh, child abuse, I think, by uh, putting that child <laughs> back in. Uh, that's that's ridiculous. I'm lucky because I I started uh, high school in a absolutely brand new building, um, so I can't say that I personally experienced any of those problems. Um, you're definitely fortunate there. It's a, a known problem that schools have no budgets, like for crayons. Uh, so they certainly don't have it for building maintenance. And the number of multi-schools are it's very high. And, and you imagine adults like me who I, I meditate a lot, like I, I'm a grounded guy. If I can get to the I don't care about this biohacking facility, throw a match in it, you know, get me the hell out of here in 20 minutes. I, I can't imagine trying to be 12 years old <laughs> with raising hormones in a multi-building and at all sane. So when, when I look at, at these you know, kids with all sorts of conditions going on, like you got to look at the environment because it's maybe even more important than the food. And I'm, I'm hoping that that this kind of awareness that you've just shared here will get a lot of parents like I don't know if this is an average episode, 50,000 the first week paying attention and saying, wow, I, I wonder if, you know, little little Johnny, if this is something we should think about for him. And, and some of the time it is and some of the time it's not, but it should be in your universe. Yeah. Um, James. We're down to the end of the podcast, and I appreciate you just being able to, to share how things are going. But there's one more share. Uh, what are your top three recommendations for people who want to perform better? Not just as a world survivor, but you've been a successful entrepreneur. Uh, you know, you you live in a in a great city in New York, and like you've led an interesting life aside from having dealt with this for three years. So, what have you learned that everyone should know? Things I've learned in my life, I'm uh, the absolute first thing that I can say is I'm the person who did everything wrong first, at least three times wrong first, uh, <laughs> and then uh, re you know recovered from that and took that as a lesson. And I've built my my life around maybe some pretty hard lessons, um, but at the end, learning from what I did wrong, what hurt me, what hurt other people. Uh, recognizing that is really a, a very important step of moving forward. Um, I would say that's probably the key thing that's contributed to the success in, in my career. Um, the second thing is, uh, I know this isn't for everyone, but uh, I always think of, um, you know, life, this is, this is uh, potentially your last day. If I'm thinking about what I would regret on my deathbed, then how do I live my life? Would I take that vacation to Australia? Would I, you know, go to the Antarctic? I mean, would I do these things personally? It's again, not for everybody, but I would do those things because it's important for me to, uh, ensure that I'm doing the things that I want, that I'm going the places that I want, that I work hard to try to achieve those things, which is why I work so hard, that I'm help helping other people in the ways that I can, um, so that, you know, at the end, uh, hopefully it goes quickly, but uh, I'm not sitting on my deathbed regretting um, the things that went through my life. And this is a personal note, but I went through that with my father's death about two years ago. Um, at the end, for about three weeks, it was three weeks of just talking about what he wished he had done and, and what he wished he hadn't have done. And, and I can't live that life, not, not for me. Um, the third thing is, I mean, this is going to be an obvious, obvious one, but your body really is a temple. You've got to take care of it. Uh, you've got to eat well. You've got to exercise. You've got to make sure that, and this is what I try to do. This is the only reason that I got out of the house. I made myself in those two hours that I was able to be awake. I made myself go out to the park and at least walk. It's, it was the last thing that I felt like doing, but I knew that if at least I could do that, um, that the next day it wouldn't be as hard or at least mentally wouldn't be as hard. Um, so that's just a kind of an internal uh, mechanism that I use to, to try to push myself forward and, and stay motivated. Awesome advice. Uh, thank you. If you enjoyed today's show of Bulletproof Radio, please do me a favor. Just uh, click on over to iTunes and say you liked it and share a positive review. That helps other people find the show. And it keeps me motivated to put two of these out every week like I have for almost two years now straight. It is an enormous undertaking for me, but I feel like this knowledge is helping millions of millions of people now. And it 
doesn't always apply directly to you, but one in three people have the genes that make them susceptible to what you heard about today. That means if you look to your left and you look to your right, one of those three of you is gonna get way worse than the other two when you walk into a moldy building. And if it's your building, you gotta clean it up. That said, thanks for listening. Check out next time. The Human Upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended for the purposes of diagnosing, treating, curing, or preventing any disease. Before using any products referenced on the podcast, consult with your healthcare provider, carefully read all labels, and heed all directions and cautions that accompany the products. Information found or received through the podcast should not be used in place of a consultation or advice from a healthcare provider. If you suspect you have a medical problem or should you have any healthcare questions, please promptly call or see your healthcare provider. This podcast, including Dave Asprey and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is owned by Bulletproof Media.